my helpers at? Evan. Jake. We have a few. Katie's coming. Perfect. <laughs> Calling on people. All right. Come on up here, helpers. Come on up here, kids. You guys know the words and stuff. Come on up here. Come on all the way up. It's your time to shine, baby. All right. Adults, join us. This is going to be great. You're going to love it. Get your Sunday morning aerobics right out of the way. First thing.
So like we said, we had a great VBS week. Thank you for all the volunteers and everyone that stepped in to help. Can we give the kids another hand? Also another hand for Pastor Steve, man. The dude puts in a lot of work for that week for our kids, man. What a blessing, amen? Amen.
the one who is risen from the dead. We worship you on your day. Your word tells us that you are the resurrection and the life. You brought life and immortality to light in your gospel. You cannot be held by death, but you, you conquered it. You have the keys to the grave and you rescue your people from death's power. You are the Savior who once was dead, but who now lives to die no more. We have you for a living friend and companion. We are sure of your help, O strong Son of God. In our every time of need, in every trial, and every temptation, you are with us, O Jesus. We gather together today. We think of you. You are our Savior, the one who sets us free from death and bondage to sin. Bring us into living fellowship with yourself. May we abide in you and in your love today, Jesus. May this be to us as a resurrection day, a day of victory over some old sin. Perhaps for many, a new day, a new day of life and hope. Help us, Jesus, to conquer some earthly desire today, to enter into some new freedom, to some new understanding of who you are, or realization of your grace and kindness toward us. May you make today a day of real blessing to us and to others. Bless the churches all around our community this morning. And let the power that can only come from you be given to all who proclaim the gospel today, to all who teach in Sunday schools, to all who will shepherd hearts. May we open our own hearts to receive your love, to hear your word, and may the power of your Holy Spirit come upon us. We will give all the praise to the Father through you, O oh Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
may be seated. Well, I, I know we already um, gave recognition, but I just once again want to say thank you to all of you who made Vacation Bible School possible from designing sets and, and uh, setting things up to teaching our kids to uh, handling snacks. There were so many little, uh, little things, and a special thank you uh, to Steve and Jessica for all of their work and and organizing and spearheading so many aspects of VBS. Uh, before we open up the Word together, I also want to make mention that tonight is our first of three um, prayer and worship nights that we're going to do uh, throughout the summer. Tonight at 6.30, we'll be right in here, and we're going to have some time of, of just being able to sing and worship together, uh, come together and pray, and we want to invite you to join us here at 6.30. We'd love for you to be a part of that and know that you'll be blessed. Last week, we began a series here for this, sum, this summer uh, on the prophet Jeremiah, on the, on the book of the Bible, uh, named after this faithful and, um, and enduring prophet. Jeremiah has been uh, called by some the weeping prophet, but I'm going to lobby for a, a new moniker, the, the persevering prophet, or maybe even the prophet with heart. Um, I was watching a video clip recently of a man who was, um, it was, it was a, a Christian apologist who had, had been lecturing at it, it would appear to be at a university, and he was taking some time of question and answer of students that would step up to the mic and ask him a question, and, and one young man stepped up and, uh, and, and essentially asked the, uh, this, this Christian speaker uh, why he had such a hard time uh, trusting in, in the goodwill of the people of the world. He said, why do we need your holy book to tell us what to do? Can't mankind basically figure things out? Why, why can't you just leave us to ourselves? I mean, we realize there are outliers like the Nazis and, and there are serial killers, but by and large, isn't man basically, basically good? Why, why do we need a God telling us what we can and can't do or should and shouldn't do, why can't we just leave it up to the good nature of human beings to figure things out on our own? There was silence for a moment, and the speaker stepped up to the microphone. He said, let me ask you one question. Do you lock your doors at night? You see, we all recognize, we all want to maybe say that, that human beings are basically good and that in our heart of hearts, uh, we would do the right thing if, if push came to shove, but the Word of God tells us differently. And, and you know, we, we saw, we've seen throughout history, the history of mankind, the, the problems and the wars and the fighting, and it seems like it, it just a few centuries ago as the Enlightenment came around that that would fix things. We were gaining new knowledge and through maybe reason and science. Uh, that we would become more modern and we would get past all of that barbarism. However, the 20th century proved otherwise in that we killed more people than all the previous 19 centuries put together. We said last week that Jeremiah is a prophet of the heart and he talks about the heart. And this, this week, I want us to just take a little time to look at what he has to say regarding the human heart. You see, as we, as we walk through this, we're going to start off with some of the bad news, and then we're going to progress to the good news that Jeremiah holds out, the hope that he holds forth for God's people. 
And just by way of recap, we said last week that when the Bible talks about the heart, that it refers to the center of our desires and the decision-making process. It doesn't simply refer to our emotional life, it, that is part of it, but it's the core of who we are, the, the place from where our motivations spring. It's not part of who we are, but the center of who we are. And if you found your place in Jeremiah 17, we're really just going to focus in on, on, on one verse here this morning, and we'll, we'll look at a, a few others along the way. But in Jeremiah 17, he's talking about the sins of Judah and returning again to the reason why they are going to be punished by God. And he says this in verses 9 and 10. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The first thought here is that the human heart, by nature, is a mess. The human heart, by nature, is a mess. Even though we're only looking at one passage, really the whole book of Jeremiah, the majority of the book of Jeremiah is, is setting forth to prove that, that we are in desperate need of help. The, this, this verse 9 here of chapter 17 says that the heart is deceitful. That is, uh, th this word literally means uh, crooked or uh, uneven terrain. It, it, the word can be used to speak of, of walking in that kind of place where you don't have a smooth path, where things are rough. And he's saying here, listen, the heart is, is rough. It's, it's crooked. It is not a straight path. Apart from God, in our fallen nature, the human heart is deceitful. It's sly. John Calvin says the human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood lurks. It is so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy that it often dupes even itself. This passage reminds us that it's impossible to give ourselves an EKG. We can't look at our own hearts and provide an accurate assessment because we're told that the heart itself is deceitful. Common advice today says to trust your heart. Jeremiah and the rest of Scripture says that's a bad idea. This was at the core of the issue as Jeremiah came and spoke prophetically to God's people. The hearts of the people of Judah had convinced themselves that everything was just fine. They were going to be okay. Egypt would rescue them. They, 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 they were, they were going to work themselves out. God had talked about this sort of stuff before and nothing had ever happened. They were going to be all right. As the people of God, we would do well to pay careful attention to those who have gone before us. It's easy to convince ourselves that we're just fine before God. Even for those who are believers, even for those who have what we're going to get to in a few weeks, a, a, a new heart, we can still convince ourselves that we're fine, that we're right with God, while we allow sin to fester in our lives. Bitterness, a root of bitterness taking hold, unforgiveness, jealousy, lust. We go about our day like we're happy Christians, loving Jesus. We can raise our hands and worship on Sunday, but inside, we are allowing things to go on that reflect the deceitfulness of the heart. 
Jeremiah also says that the heart is desperately sick. It's incurable. The basic meaning of this word here is of sickness, but it's also used to describe a wound or a pain which cannot be cured. One thinks of the filmmaker Woody Allen trying so desperately to justify his sexual relationship with a young girl said, the heart wants what the heart wants. The Bible tells us that the heart has a problem, a serious problem, and it's desperately sick. We're born into this world, the Bible teaches, and into sin, and in desperate need of a Savior. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Genesis 6-5 piggybacks on this when it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that the intention, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story about a man betrayed by his own heart. The story is called The Telltale Heart. Some of you may be familiar with it. It begins with the murder of an old man. The murderer has just buried the corpse beneath the floorboards when the police arrive. A neighbor has heard a scream in the dark and they've come to investigate. The murderer calmly invites the police to search the heart. They find nothing. But as they investigate, the murderer begins to hear a low, dull, quick sound, such as a sound a watch might make when enveloped in cotton. The story continues in the murderer's own words. He says, I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gestures. The noise steadily increased. I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, but the noise steadily increased. I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, louder, louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart. What the murderer didn't realize was that it was his own heart, his own heart that was crying out, his own heart that was condemning him. Jeremiah here speaks of the human heart in such poignant terms, deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The theological term for the, this condition of the heart without Christ is called total depravity. So often we think of ter- sin in terms of what we do, the, the actions that we play out with one another. But the Bible teaches, teaches us that we, we, uh, our sin, it, it runs much deeper than the things that we do or don't do, the things that we say or shouldn't say. It flows from our heart. Jesus said this and. Mark chapter 7, he said, from out of a person, from what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. 
You see, the Pharisees had been so concerned about the exteriors, about, about doing things and saying things just right, just getting the, the outward cleaned up. And Jesus said, no, 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 your problem is in here. Your sin problem comes from within. It's not because you don't have enough rules in your life that, that you have evil thoughts or coveting or wickedness or deceit. It's not because of something external around you. He said that comes from your heart. Our total depravity doesn't mean that we are as bad as we possibly could be. We all can think immediately of people who have committed heinous crimes, uh, all kinds of sin, lived, lived lascivious lifestyles, and, and uh, lived in wickedness and think, well, I'm not that bad. Now, total depravity doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could be. Rather, it means that every part of our being is affected by our sin, our intellect, our emotion, our desires, our, our hearts, our goals, our motives, even our physical bodies have been affected by the sin that lies within, the sin in which we are born. It doesn't mean that total depravity also doesn't mean that we can't do good things, that a sinner can't build a hospital, can't uh, volunteer at a soup kitchen. It doesn't mean that unbelievers can't uh, do anything uh, helpful in society, but rather an unbeliever, apart from Jesus Christ, can't do anything to earn their way to him. They're, we can do nothing to merit acceptance with God. In fact, Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12 say it even more starkly. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The Bible does not pull any punches. Neither Jeremiah nor any of the other prophets, nor any of the writers of Scripture, and most certainly not our Lord and Savior himself, pull any punches regarding the condition of the human heart. When we are born, we are born alienated from God with a heart bent toward evil. And the thing is, so often we, we ignore problems that can't readily be seen. We... we, we can either excuse them, pretend they're not there, or, or, or just sort of push it out of our mind when, when it's not right at the forefront. And a friend, I woke up last Sunday morning to discover a friend who uh, we read on social media, a friend of mine, it was a, one of my teachers at Bible College, um, an amazing man of God and, and a man who um, was one of the first people who discipled me, really. And uh, he's 49 years old and went into the hospital, and we saw on, on Facebook last Sunday morning that he was giving a, getting a, a 20 to 30% chance of making it through a surgery. He, he uh, was discovered to have an aortic aneurysm, and um, they didn't know if he'd make it. This is a guy who's healthy in the last few years, has lost a lot of weight, gotten in shape. Outwardly, you'd look at this person, almost 50 years old, and you'd say, this guy is in phenomenal condition. He's in great shape. But inside, there was a problem that no amount of exercise or healthy eating would take care of. It was a genetic condition that nobody saw, but it was there beneath the surface. Now, just to finish the story, praise God, he made it through surgery, and he's, he's actually done quite well this week, and um, he, 
looks like he's going to make it, not without some changes and different, different normal in his life, but God has, has chosen to give him more days here upon this earth. My point is that, that so often when it comes to sin in our life, it just it lurks below the surface. It's not something that stands out front. It's not something that makes the news headlines. It's not something that, that people can see openly, easily, and yet it's there. That's why Jeremiah speaks of the deceitfulness of the heart, the ways in which the heart hides. The reality is, secondly, that this mess, this mess of the heart, it's, it's not something we can fix. It's not something that there's any tool, any amount of self-effort or work that we can do to take care of the problem that we're all born with. And that's hard because some of us are, are real fix-it people. You, you want to be able to find the cure. You want to be able to find the solution. And the, the text here itself says... It's desperately sick. It's, it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? There's no physician here or in the world who can fix the problem with a human heart. They may be able to fix physical conditions with a human, human heart and aortic aneurysm, but they can't fix the one problem for which we most desperately need a cure. In fact, Jeremiah is going to say elsewhere in chapter 13, verse 23, he says, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. He says, if those things can happen, if a leopard can change out his spots, <laughs> if, if a person can change their skin pigmentation, then fine, you can change your own hearts. Sure, go right ahead. You see, he wanted the people of Judah to get to this place where they understood the seriousness of their condition. They needed to understand how desperately they needed some sort of intervention. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. You see, none of us can fix this problem with which we're born. I mentioned last Sunday that our youngest had cut his knee uh, with his own tooth on the trampoline, some remarkable feat uh, of Gumby-bending wizardry, but um, uh, some of you also saw on Facebook that uh, later on that night, um, the, the, even though the doctors had given him an antibiotic, uh, the thing was infected and swollen and looking all kinds of nasty. And so uh, we took him back to the emergency room. They sent him over to Covenant Hospital, and we got to spend part of the week over there with him uh, as the doctors were giving him antibi uh, IV antibiotics, trying to just nuke this infection and, and take care of it. And I was thinking there as we were sitting in the hospital room for a couple of days, I was thinking about, you know, we, we, could have, we could have said, you know, we'll take care of this at home. This, this, I mean, it's just, you know, it was a decent cut, but we can, we'll, we'll dress it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put some good band-aids on there and we'll take care of this problem. That thing will heal up in no time whatsoever. But you see, the cut really was not his biggest problem at that point. It was an infection below the surface. And no amount of band-aids, even cool emoji band-aids, or I got him some great ones with mustaches, different mustaches on them. Uh, no amount of cool mustache band-aids were going to fix his problem. His problem was inside. There was an infection that needed to be dealt with. The wound was just a symptom. The infection was the problem. 
And you see, we can put band-aids on our lives. We can try to try harder and to, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to quit this habit. I'm going to, I'm going to start this good habit here. I'm going to knock this off. I'm going to stop doing this or going to this place. I'm going to be better. You can try that. And sometimes there's some, some measure of success curbing some of those behaviors, but you're not dealing with the real problem. The real problem is the human heart. I'm not a huge Shakespeare fan, but uh, there's an incredible picture in Macbeth that illustrates this so well. Lady Macbeth had helped Macbeth, her husband, murder some people, and then she just completely snapped. And there's a scene in which she, she's walking around at night, she sees blood on her hands, and she's trying to wash it out, and she can't. That's her guilt just rising to the top, and she would say, out damned spot, out damned spot. Who knew that the old man would have so much blood in him? Not all the perfumes in Arabia can sweeten this little hand. Later on, Macbeth, talking to a doctor about his wife, whose mind has gone, calls guilt to that perilous stuff that weighs upon the heart. As she drifts further and further into insanity, Macbeth looks at her and turns to the doctor and utters this great line. He says to the doctor, Canst thou not pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow and with some sweet oblivious antidote cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff which weighs upon the heart? The doctor turns to Macbeth and says, There is no such antidote for this disease. And then says, In this disease... The patient must minister to himself. What a poignant picture of the guilt, the burden that we feel because of our sin. But what a terrible antidote. What, what empty advice this doctor has to offer. He was right in saying... None of us can provide an antidote for this. But oh, so, so heartbreaking to think that the only solution is that the patient must minister to themselves in this disease. You see, while the heart is deceitful and it is beyond our cure, there is one who can fix it. The heart is a mess that only God can fix. This is why David prayed in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David knew there was only one place to go for his heart to be cleansed. There is only one place that we can go in order to see this disease cured, this heart be made new. You see, Israel's problem in Jeremiah's day was not simply that they were doing bad stuff. That is a problem. Next week, we're going to talk about idolatry, some of the bad stuff that they were doing. But ultimately, the core problem was that they needed new hearts. They needed new hearts. heart is a mess that only God can fix. 
So this morning we might say, thanks Jeremiah for bringing the storm clouds. We've dreariness outside the past few days and dreariness in here this morning. Thanks for reminding us how bad we all are. It's not me, it's the other Jeremiah. You can blame him. The Jeremiah jokes are not going to get old. I'm going <laughs> to... Um, why is it important that we take a moment to step back and think about the condition of the human heart? Why do we need to do that from time to time? Isn't it just talking about bad news and we get enough bad news on the television, on the internet? Why don't we come here to hear some good news? Well, you see, it's, it's the bad news that makes the good news good. And one of the reasons that we need to step back from time to time and understand the condition of the human heart apart from Christ, and even for those of us as believers who have received a new heart from God, and we'll, again, we're going to talk about that down the road here in this, in this series. Why, why do we need to turn back to this idea of our sin nature from time to time? I just wrote down three reasons as we close here. First of all, how you view the human heart determines how you look at the world around you. There's a lot we could say about this. Everything from parenting to politics, from the prison system to what goes on on the playground, and everything in between. How you see the human heart. Is mankind basically decent and good? And if left to their own vices, eventually we'll all live in peace and harmony? Or, at the core, do we have a problem that we can't cure on our own? I believe the Bible teaches the latter. I believe the Bible teaches that God does give new hearts. But if we understand properly about what the Bible says uh, our heart looks like in its fallen natural condition, it, it will help us as we look and assess the world around us. I wish we could say more about that. But Secondly, how you see the heart determines whether or not you need Jesus or whether you, or not you think you need Jesus. You see, there's not a single one of us who looks at sin the way that we ought to, who sees sin for the way that it truly is, that it's cosmic treason against Almighty God, that it's the creature rebelling against the Creator, that we've offended this perfect, righteous, and holy God who must punish sin, who can't in some forgetful or grandfatherly way says, ah, don't worry about it. In His justice, in His holiness, He must deal with sin. He can't let it go. And I don't think there's a single human besides Jesus who's ever lived who's understood that clearly and understood the depths, the wickedness of the human heart. Too often we see sin as that bad stuff we do to one another. That's secondary. The primary issue is that we have violated the creator-creature relationship. You see, there's a difference between needing a little help and needing a savior. There's a difference between crutches and a stretcher. So many of us think that we just need a little help. We need that band-aid. But Jesus did not come to be a crutch to give us a little help so we could meet him halfway. You and I don't need crutches. We need a stretcher. We were born separated from Christ unable to fix the problem 
of our own hearts. And until you understand that, Jesus will remain little more than a wise sage, an impressive magician, or a good teacher. Jesus came to be our Savior. He came to heal and to give new hearts. And we all are born into this world in desperate need of this Savior who beckons us to come, who longs to give us that new heart. He's not begrudging. He's not stingy with new hearts. He longs to give them. And then finally, we return to this topic from time to time, the condition of the human heart, because finally it motivates us to share Jesus. You see, I, I don't know the condition of each and every one of your hearts this morning. I have to imagine that there are some here without Christ, and you're in desperate need of a Savior. But I know I've talked to many of you, and I've heard your testimony of the new heart that you've been given in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are here in that place, we need to be mindful that there is a world around us. Everywhere we go, at work, at school, at family gatherings, wherever you find yourself, in your neighborhood, there are hearts that are broken, hearts that are separated from God, hearts that have turned some in great bitterness away from God. Others who think that they're okay, they're, they're not so bad, at least not as bad as the guy down the street. We return to this again and again because we're reminded that we've been given the, the message of the one who died upon the cross, who rose again from the grave so that we can have new hearts. We are heralds of that good news. We are the delivery men and delivery women of that mission, that, that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah, here at the outset of this series, we wanted to look at how Jeremiah describes the condition of the human heart. You see, if only Judah would have understood and gotten it, God was not, God was not coming after them just because they were naughty and he needed to discipline them. God wanted them to come back. He wanted them to come to himself. He wanted to give new hearts. But they first had to understand the condition, the present condition of their hearts, and they weren't getting it. And they never would during Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's ministry. And even when hundreds of years later Jesus came along, the one who was, who was going to give them that new heart, they still didn't get it. My prayer today is that, that God would open our eyes, that we might get it, that we might begin to see the condition of the human heart apart from Christ, that even as believers, we might have a realistic understanding of that sinful nature that's still within us, and that we might remember that moment by moment, 
We need to turn again and again to the one who longs to give new hearts. As we pray, I just want to invite any of you who would like to spend any time in prayer, either with someone or on your own, you're welcome to come forward. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we'll have a few folks up here that would love to do so. Whether it's about anything we've talked about this morning or just something else that's been on your heart and mind, we would love to spend time with you in prayer. Heavenly Father, when we turn to passages like this, they can weigh us down, they can be heavy upon us. Because this, this, is, this is not, at least at first glance, good news. Hearing how bad the heart of man is, hearing how serious sin is, Father, as we open up your word, would you continually show us and continually remind us that every day we need Jesus Christ. For that person who's been given a new heart, we still need him moment by moment, day by day. Help us to have just an alert awareness of that. But God, for those who might be here today or who might be listening online that, that realize that They've never trusted in Jesus, never received that new heart from God. May today might be that day that, that they put their faith and trust in this one who longs to draw them close to the Father. And we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. Even when it says hard things to us, may we listen, may we have ears to hear. And may our hearts be changed. In the goodness and the generosity of God our Savior, who kindly gives new hearts, may the renewing power of the Holy Spirit and the certain hope purchased by Jesus Christ settle over your living, over your thinking, over your worship, and over your mission. Amen. May God bless you this week as you...